If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Well, welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I am here, as I often am, with Ed the Protestant. Like a bad penny. That's right. That's right. And this time we are not outside at the secret compound, although I considered it today because the sun is shining. We're going through almost like a mini spring. And I think if I were left to my own devices, I would have recorded outside at the secret compound. But Ed is a, uh, I was going to say he's a, what do I want to say? I'm trying to say this nicely. I was going to try to say that he, he is somebody who doesn't tolerate adverse conditions. Well, not well, only do I like it warm, but the lowest temperature I can tolerate is pretty much just correlated with my age. So and, you can't be anywhere and, that's less than 75 degrees. <laughs> let's, not put, let's not go there yet. But yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. So you're a delicate hothouse flower. I am. I'm a regular hothouse flower. That's right. Flower. You always want to be like at the beach. Yep. So inviting you out to the secret compound on an early spring day okay. was... Uh, I make no apologies. Uh, that's right. You know. So Ed didn't want to man up and bundle up and come out <laughs> to the seat. So we are sitting indoors once again for another conversation. And I think that, Ed, you, you have a question for a friend, wink, wink. I do, I do. Okay, so some of you listeners might remember that we talked a while back about me sitting and having a breakfast conversation with my, old, my three old friends from high school and how they just grilled me on this. And we were talking about this beforehand. I think you looked it up, which episode it was. It might be... It's uh, episode 138. And the title is, Is Catholicism Spooky? Okay. So I keep in touch with these guys. And one of the guys who gave me the permission to use his name, Doug, he's been listening to the podcast. I told him, I'm going to talk about you guys. So you might want to listen to this one. And so he did. And I didn't know if he was listening any more than that. But he texted me a couple of days ago and said he had just listened to the one about pastors and priests, which was pretty recent as of our recording this. And he really liked it, and he had an observation to make. And it was this, basically, I'll read you the pertinent part of his text. If Protestants believe something mystical happens when they accept Jesus, so, you know, the angels are rejoicing as another name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life, why can't they accept that something mystical happens when they get baptized or take communion? But, oh, no, deals are just symbols. He said, and that just doesn't seem consistent to me. Mm-hmm. And that is something I struggled with and didn't realize I was struggling with it until I started getting into the podcast. And then I started thinking, oh my gosh, the Catholic Church is, is a mile deep. And I didn't, you know, I didn't see all that. And I've always longed, frankly, for things to be mystical, my faith to be mystical and all that. But I never trusted anybody to tell me what it was. And I got burned a couple of times, charismatic church, for instance. And then I would go to Catholic marriage ceremonies. And there was something pulling me in always in those. 
so I'm going to try and represent Doug's position, which was, which it basically is mine, I guess, too. And let's talk about this, about the Protestant proclivity to, $3 word, that's the only one I'm <laughs> going to use today, proclivity to, to keep things, you have a better word for it, but to keep demystified. things- Demystified. Demystified. Yeah, sort of surfacy, like all a transactional, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the word in that other episode, episode 138, the Catholicism spooky uh, thing. I think that's the word that we talked about. We'll come back to that, that in a lot of Protestantism, and especially evangelical style Protestantism, it is a very transactional relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. Jesus offers me a deal and I accept the deal. Yeah. And then I've got like my golden ticket. You know, Jesus died on a cross. He offers me a deal that if I will believe in him, accept him as my Lord and Savior, then when I die and I go to be judged, that, God will overlook my sins and right. judge me according to Jesus' sacrifice and then it wash you know, right? So it's very much of a transactional understanding right. of salvation. And then that ends at that point. Basically, I'm in. I mean, right. I'm I'm going to heaven, I'm saved. And we'll we'll get into how that evolved and all that. But yeah, I think that's what we talked about before. But but you want me to go or do you well, want to you say? Because so, so, I've, got, I've got a lot to say about right, this, well, but I want to make sure you, you get out. Well, I'll just, wind it, I'll just wind it up. This is a thing that attracts me so much to Catholicism yeah. is that I want it to be mystical, but I need it to not be what, you know, Bob, the pastor down the street tells me right. is mystical, or even this church over here, this denomination that I belong to, which seems like the entire world until you get out of your town and then there are no other churches like that. And right. you realize... And so this all appeals to me very much, and I want it to go a mile deep. And yeah. I'm, I knew we were going to talk about this today because I you know, texted you and said, hey, can we talk about this? And I know you're going to surprise and delight me, no pressure, <laughs> with these things. So go ahead and I'll, I'll jump in. You know, Oh, I have to read you a good quote. I don't know if I heard this from you or not, but Protestants approach their Bible like they're the first ones to ever read it. That's exactly, you know. No, and, that's good. Not, that's exactly right. And I don't, I, you know, when I saw all this two years ago, I made a huge step toward Catholicism. Yeah. Well, where to begin? Let, let's start here. Let's just clear something up right away. You know, you said just a moment ago that you don't want the mysticism or the misty, woo-woo, spooky parts right. to be subjective, right? So Pastor right. Josh's church down the block has this kind of woo-woo thing, and Pastor betty's smells and bells church has candles and incense and right. you know this and that and then somebody else has their pentecostal church and it's all supernaturally in this way and and it's not rooted in anything and at that level a lot of this sorts of system mysticism and i and i hear this from some people that you know the catholic church kind of maybe appeals to them because of this kind of like mystical thing but a lot of what they're doing is looking at the surface the outward appearance of things it, what they mean by that is the catholic catholic church has candles or the catholic church you know occasionally the priest spreads incense or right. there's you know and so what they're doing is they're looking at some external things but here's how i want to tackle this for Doug and the other Protestants out there, right? Because one of the things I've realized when talking to Protestants, as I used to be, is to meet them on their own terms. So as Protestants, it's, oh, sola scriptura, let's get to the scriptures. If we're going to talk about all this stuff, then show me where it is in the Bible. All right. So, okay, let's do that. 
right? I was a, you know, Protestant. I went to seminary. I yeah. studied Hebrew and Greek. Let's, let's, let's do this thing, okay? There is a word. Now, you talk about mystical, so let's go to the Greek roots of that word. Mm-hmm. In Greek, in, in New Testament Greek, there is a word, mysterion, okay? Mysterion. And yep. you can see how out of that you right. get the word mystery, mystical, mysticism, right. right? That Greek word mysterion appears about 25, 30 times in the New Testament and mostly in the letters of Paul. So for those Protestants out there who are thinking, oh, this is, you know, Catholic, pagan, heresy stuff, right? No, let's go right to your center. Right. right. Let's go to your comfort zone. Let's right. go to the letters of Paul. And Paul uses this Greek word mysterion dozens of times. Okay. What does the word mysterion mean? Well, here's, it's translated often in our English Bibles as mystery. So Paul will say things like it is a mystery. One of the most famous ones is when he talks about the resurrection in first Corinthians 15, when he talks about the transformation of the resurrection is a mystery. So Paul uses this word over and over that way. Now, the English word mystery, as we use it today, connotes what? You know, you and I both love mysteries. Yep. Mystery novels, yeah. right? Yep. Love me a good true crime podcast that sure. drags it out for 20 episodes right. with, you know, the mystery. But how we use the English word mystery or what that means to us in contemporary society is very different than what Paul meant by the word mystery or mysterion. What we mean usually is basically a a riddle or a puzzle or a piece of information that we don't have. So, for example, when we talk about a murder mystery, we say, well, how is it in Clue? It's always Professor Peacock did it in yeah. the in the, the parlor, library, yeah. in the library with a candlestick or right. something. So somebody killed Mrs. Proofrock, and we just don't know who that is yet. Or if you listen to your true crime podcast, you go, right. somebody committed this heinous murder, right. and we just don't know who yet. So we're our, we are a mystery means something that is basically a puzzle or a piece of information that we don't have. But it's something that's knowable that we can figure out if we only can put the pieces together and the evidence together and connect the dots. Right. You with me? Yep. That's what a mystery is. But that's not what in the New Testament is meant by mysterion. Okay? That New Testament word, the Greek word, at the time that Paul used it, had very specific connotations in the Greco-Roman world. And it came out of Greco-Roman religions. It meant supernatural knowledge that is revealed. So in the other religions of the day, not Christianity, you would say as an initiate to this religion, there is supernatural knowledge of the gods or whatever, but it is revealed to you as you enter this religion or initiated into this religion, Mm -hmm. the gods or the supernatural powers reveal this knowledge to you. You with me? Yep. It's something that you can't know on your own. Unlike a sort of murder mystery where you go, it's about facts that you don't have. This is information that supernatural information or theological information that is only revealed through being initiated into that religion. And if somebody goes on the Google machine, looks it up to the contemporary religions in the Greco-Roman world, when Christianity came out, they were often called the mystery religions Mm -hmm. because 
they would say to people, hey, if you want to know the truth, then you join our religion and go through our rituals and this supernatural truth will be revealed to you. You with me? Yep. Okay. So here comes along Christianity, the apostles, the apostle Paul, and he starts writing letters, you know, Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and all these kind of things. And he is a member of that society, that culture, living in that time, traveling around the Mediterranean. He is looking for words to describe what he's trying to describe. And he latches onto this word mysterion, which is used in these pagan religions. And what Paul says 25, 30 times is that Christianity contains the truth that can be revealed to you supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And so he talks about the knowledge, like a, a good example would be, not only mentioned the resurrection, but also God's plan of salvation. Paul talks about how God had planned the salvation of the world, the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, how that would come about, how Jesus would die and rise again and ascend, that there was a mystery to that. There was the truth of salvation that God held back until the right time where it has been revealed to the apostles and those who can see it by true faith in the Holy Spirit. You with me? Is that all making sense? We're tracking on what a mystery is. Mystery is the truths of God revealed to you by faith in the Holy Spirit when you believe in faith and God opens your eyes to these things. Right? Yep. Okay. Fast forward some years after that to some of the early church fathers. These are the Christian writers, theologians, bishops who are writing 50, 100, 150 years, 200 years after Paul right? In, yep. the, in the two, three, four, five generations after that. So all these church fathers, and they are beginning to write, not in Greek, but they are beginning to write in Latin because okay. Latin was the universal language. I mean, Greek in the Eastern Mediterranean was spoken, but Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire, which stretched at those days all the way from Britain from right. the edge of Scotland all the way to almost, you know, what we now call, think of as Afghanistan and yeah. Syria and all that. The vast expanse of the Roman Empire, its official administrative language is Latin. Most people would speak their local dialect, but Latin was the language of the empire. So if you were going to communicate, you communicated in Latin. With mm-hmm. me? So these early Christian church fathers are now beginning to take these concepts that are in the New Testament and they're beginning to explain them in Latin. Okay. And when they came to this concept of mystery, these truths of God that are revealed to us as we encounter God and and that the Holy Spirit reveals to us in in the process of our faith, guess which Latin word they chose to translate those? Mysterion. No, No. mysterion was the Greek word. Oh, Greek word, okay. For the Latin word, they chose sacramentum it's where we get the word sacraments see they grasped this latin word to be a way to explain it and what they said is there are these mysteries of the faith or mysteries of christianity by which the truths of god are revealed to them and made manifest in their lives and they called these in latin sacramentum sacraments okay Okay, And so the concept of sacraments were the mysteries of the faith. In fact, in the Catholic Church, in the Mass today, when the priest holds up the host and the Eucharist, he says, 
the mystery of faith. Okay. They're the mysteries of the faith. Because these are the places in life in which we encounter the truths of God, and they are not only revealed to us, but made real for us. Okay? Yep. So, the whole concept of the sacraments is that they are the mysteries of God. And again, mysterion, mysteries, mystical mysticism. Right. So, when Doug says, well, wait a minute. Where's the, the mysticism and where does this mysticism and Catholicism come from? I go, it comes directly from the New Testament because what you're calling mysticism is the mysterion, the mysteries of the faith, which are made real for us or revealed and made real for us through these encounters that we have with God. So now we start talking about what are those encounters? What is it that Jesus says in the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them. Go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. So baptism is an act of initiation. It is when you become a disciple, you are baptized. And that baptism is a mystery of the faith. It is how we are united. We've talked about baptism on this podcast many times and how baptism is not just a washing of the the body or washing of sins. That's not actually what it represents. It means being united with Christ in his death. It means uh, being buried with Christ. And we've, I mean, I won't go back over all that today, but right, like baptism recalls uh, how Noah was saved through the flood. Mm -hmm. It recalls how the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. I mean, all this is in the New Testament. Right. As Jonah. Jonah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus says only the sign of Jonah will be given as Jonah descended into the waters and died to himself and was brought up and made new. So the Son of Man dies and is risen. And in baptism, we are united. Paul says in baptism, we are united with the death of Christ so that the the life of Christ can be made real in us. Mm -hmm. And so therefore baptism is this mystery of the faith, how we are regenerated. Our lives are regenerated and made new by being united with Christ in his death and resurrection Mm -hmm. through this mystery of the faith, the sacrament of baptism. In the same way, communion or the Eucharist is a sacrament because Jesus says in John 6, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are united with Christ through the Eucharist, through the Lord's table. Even Protestants believe that. And that union, that communion with God and that communion into the church is a mystery of the faith in the sense that we're talking about. Paul talks about it. it is something that is revealed to us and through us and in us in that encounter with God. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yep. Now, Doug's question is, well, and I think this is really, with all respect to Doug, a sort of degenerated Protestantism. It isn't even like the high Protestantism of Calvin or Luther at the time of the Reformation. It's sort of a right. degenerated American evangelicalism that's nothing but transactional. Because at least Luther and Calvin and the Anglicans of the Reformation right. still saw that baptism and communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table, whatever you want to call it, that those were mysteries of the faith in the right. way that I described. Luther and Calvin talked about those as those sacraments as mysteries right. of the faith that 
reveal the truth of God to us and in us and through us, okay? Right. A degenerated American evangelicalism has reduced it to nothing but this transactional, I believe in Jesus, which is Doug's question. At that moment, something happens, and then after that, it's all just... Which is what Doug is picking up on. It's occurred to him that, wait, 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 this is not... I mean, look at, look at how baptism is viewed in American evangelicalism. It is the, the baptism isn't a mystery of faith. It doesn't do anything in us. That was already done at the time we said the sinner's prayer. Baptism is a public expression of the fact that right. you have been saved. It, it doesn't do anything in you. It's simply a public witness of what has already been done in you, right? Right. And similarly... American evangelicalism has such a weak understanding of the Lord's table or the Eucharist or Mm -hmm. communion, whatever we want to call it, that it is basically like this communal expression of we are one in Jesus, but it's us expressing that, not a mystery of the faith in which God is doing something in us and to us and through us. It's us centric. Yeah. It's us Centric, it's us saying something, us expressing something, us witnessing to something, us declaring something. God isn't doing thing in us or through us or to us or revealing to us anything in that. So in that kind of degenerated American evangelicalism, there are no mysteries of the faith, except as like he said, maybe at, when you come down and say the sinner's prayer. Right. But now let's even go a step further and say, okay, with this concept of the mysteries of the faith, again, coming out of the letters of Paul, Greek word mysterion, which is translated in the early church to the Latin word sacramentum or sacraments, there are more sacraments, right? So the Catholic Church has seven, because if we think about that, where are the places in life where the truth of God, unknowable supernatural truths of God are revealed to us and through us and in us? in a way that transforms us. So with Catholicism, we say, all right, there's baptism, which is regenerates us mm-hmm. in a new life in us because we become united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. We have the sacrament of confirmation because in confirmation, that's where we are expressing in a sense, we are stepping forward and saying yes to God. This is the whole thing about infant baptism. Well, if right. the infants couldn't choose, but that's not the point. And I don't want to get into the infant baptism. We've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but that the idea is that God marks our children and yeah. he initiates and regenerates them into the community of faith through baptism. But then when that child reaches a certain age, an age of reason and accountability, they, they have the opportunity to confirm what was done in their baptism in which they step forward and say, yes, I believe. And in most of the Catholic world, it's going to be about middle school. K- kids have reached now this age of accountability, reason, which is not that much different, right? I mean, in the Jewish world, when at age 13, they have a bar mitzvah, which is the age, right. the age of accountability. So the confirmation is like that, right? Then we have the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist. Okay, so those are three sacraments there, Mm -hmm. three mysteries of the faith. We have confession or reconciliation or, right, the sacrament of penance in which we come, we've talked about that numerous times on the podcast, in which we come and the priest acting in the person of Christ in persona Christi, we don't confess to the priest, we confess to Christ and the priest is his proxy or stand-in, 
right? And so there is a, a mysticism to that, a mystery to that, that when the priest sits there and he acts in that role, yeah. he becomes yeah. this kind of mysterious, mystical person in the body of Christ. So when I say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned, I'm what I'm saying is, may Jesus Christ forgive right. me. And the priest is here in a sense, you know, is his yeah. proxy, his stand-in. Yeah. And then he is able to grant me absolution, which absolutely, as a mystery of the faith, reveals to me and through me and in me and transforms me in the act of reconciliation, absolution, and penance, right? Then we have a couple of others, right? One of the, the seven sacraments is holy orders which is ordination of priests okay. and bishops. We just did an, a couple of episodes yeah. where we talked about yep. priests, right? And that priests themselves are, there is a mystical transformation in them, a mystery of the faith by which a man, this is the difference between me as a Protestant pastor in which I was an educated professional. Yeah. Okay. I was like your doctor or your lawyer or your accountant. I was an educated professional who could work in the religious sphere, right? But a priest is someone who acts sacramentally. Sacramentally, there's that word again, right? Mystery of the faith, who in a mystery of faith becomes a representative of Christ and their soul is transformed and changed. So again, as a mystery, mysterion, the truth of God is revealed in and to and through them in a transformational way. Okay. Yep. What are the other sacraments? Remember the last, right? There's oh, a, there's, man. There's two, uh, there's two more. There's two more. Okay. I'm going to save one for the end here. The, the one is, well, we'll do this one now. Okay. We'll do matrimony, which we just oh, spent yes. some after episodes, yes, yes, right? Yes. And this is, you and I have been talking offline about this because there's a huge difference between that Protestant understanding of marriage, and we talked about this in those episodes, as a contract or a covenant between people in which of course you want jesus to be a part of your covenant but in protestantism marriage isn't a sacrament well if the state can proclaim you married right they're the only ones who can proclaim you unmarried but if the church proclaims you married do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're giving the keys. Who are you going to give the keys to this? Yeah, to? and I don't want to I don't want to go too far cuz we're going to we had a, a listener write in and request that we do another deep dive into the sacrament of matrimony and so sure. I want to save an okay. episode for that maybe right. you and I'll go deep on that one. But cuz there were some questions that they had after we did those episodes that I guess we didn't get to. So but let's just stay on this that in marriage and Jesus and Paul proclaim marriage to be a mystery of the faith Mm -hmm. because the two are made one and they become one flesh and they are transformed in that act of matrimony, that sacrament. And so the sacrament of matrimony is a mystery of the faith. Okay. And then the last one is sometimes called uh, extreme unction or last rites. And that is the anointing of the sick at the end, okay. yep. right? Which is, by the way, if someone says, Catholicism makes all this stuff up, right? I mean, the anointing of the sick, Jesus is anointed before his death, right? Yeah, yeah. Ames, it says in the letter of uh, James, the epistle of James, he says, when one is sick, have the priests anoint them, the elders of the church, presbyters right. of the church, anoint the, the, the sick one. And so it is something instituted as a mystery of faith by which the person is prepared, the soul is prepared 
for death. Okay. Which again is this mystery of faith. So this is a roundabout way to get at this whole thing where when Doug says, well, wait a minute, where's the mysticism in American evangelicalism versus Catholicism? And what I want to try to do in this conversation is to say, let's avoid the cosmetic surface stuff, you know, the incense and the candles and the, you know, flowing robes and the bells and all this kind of business. The substance of the thing, again, in talking to my Protestant friends, brothers, is let's do it on their terms. And their terms is show me in scripture. And that's what I wanted to do here is to say, hey, look, this idea of mystical stuff, woo-woo in the Catholic church is deeply rooted in the New Testament. Yeah. It, it's an expression of the New Testament. The sacraments are the mysterions, the mysteries of the faith in which the truths of God are revealed to us, through us, and in us in a way that transforms us. And the sacraments are simply that translation into Latin of those points of encounter mm-hmm. that we have throughout our life yeah. that transform us and they those mysteries of the faith that running mysticism through catholicism which i think in the next conversation we're going to talk about how protestantism demystified yeah christianity and and really in some ways the universe okay so now that's my big long lecture i did a big wrong run there talking you've sewn it up nicely these are weighty issues and i think they're things that protestants i can talk to my protestant friends doug and everybody else that those of us who think about these things have wrestled with this in ways that we maybe even couldn't articulate. Uh, I, I remember growing up thinking, well, there's just got to be more here. There's something missing. And I would go to even Protestant sort of high church services pulled at me at, and I, I, at the mystery of it, you know? Yeah. And again, just, I know I've made this point mm. a couple of times. I think there's two things that are going on. When you go to those things, what you see are the cosmetic, aesthetic things, the smells and the bells and the robes and the music and all that, which tug at our hearts, but it's not that we just want to adopt those cosmetic aesthetics. So in other words, if you still have that Protestant understanding, you've just dressed it up. Let me give you a good example. I remember when I was in seminary on my internship with another seminary intern, and there was this old guy who was sick in the hospital or hospice. And I said to my seminary buddy, oh, I got to go see him. And I really never had done, I mean, I was, I was in seminary, I was learning how to do this stuff. I didn't right. really know what to do. And it's, oh, we should go over and see this guy. And, and well, what should we do? And of course, we weren't really trained in this very well, because again, we had this Protestant understanding right. of this. But he's, well, look, it says in James, you know, that, that uh, you know, if, if anyone is sick, you know, the, the elders or the presbyters or whatever should anoint the right. sick man with oil and God will, you know, bring grace on him. And I'm like, well, where what, what we get oil or whatever? And he goes, we'll stop at the grocery store on the way there and, and get oil. I'm like, what kind of oil? He goes, like Wesson. Yeah, so I, right, I mean, right. literally my buddy and I pulled into some grocery stores and you know, we ran in there, bought a bottle of Wesson oil. You know, I look back at it and I go, this is just even tacky. It should have been like extra virgin olive right, oil exactly. or something like that. But we bought a bottle of Wesson oil and then we drove over to this old guy and we rubbed Wesson oil on him. But we don't really know, I mean, not all over him, right. but like on his forehead or something. We don't really know we were doing 
but that was a case of us like grasping with trying to do some kind of like aesthetic cosmetic thing, even though our understanding of what we were doing was still sort of a mechanical thing. We didn't really think of it as a mystery of the faith that was enacting grace or a conduit of grace into this man's life. We just thought that we were trying to minister to him in a way that was you know, comforting and had a a sort of biblical sort of format to it. Right, right. But I remember that night very clearly in my mind and I go, I didn't, I didn't think that it was a conduit of, of grace, you know? Right. But now I look at it and I go, that anointing, that last rites that you do with the sick, that extreme unction is, it's, is a conduit of grace. It is a mystery of the faith. It is a sacrament. So to Doug and all of you Protestants out there, what I would say is if you you find yourself attracted because of the things that you can see, the smells and the bells and the oils and the, you know, flowing robes and the architecture and the music and all that, that is tugging at your heartstrings, but you want to go deeper into it. And I just want to assure you that what you're going deeper into is the heart of the New Testament. It was, as it was written by Paul and the other apostles, and it was understood in the first generations that these were the mysteries of faith, the sacraments. And if it tugs at your heart, it's because it's true. It's representing something that's real and true, you know? Yeah. It's not just, yeah, there's a reason. Yeah, and, and, and then a lot of the, the smells and the bells and things become ways that we express that in a way that and and conduits to that 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 truth that holy what the holy spirit is doing how that grace is flowing and but again it's not it's not mistaking the the means the conduits for the substance of the thing well our mutual friend who i go out to breakfast with almost every week we were talking about this this past week he said you know that he was protestant most of his life and uh converted i think uh, just around the time you did and he said, it's just so rich. Yeah. And every, I said, do you find yourself then, as time goes by, do you find that it, you understand it in a more rich way? And do you understand, you find more meaning and does it get deeper for you? And he said, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you never get to the bottom. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause here for a second and then we're going to keep talking about this. We're going to talk about how that all went away. And yeah. how the Protestant Reformation demystified Christianity, and right. in, and in, and in so doing, it in a sense demystified or disenchanted the universe for Christians. Can't wait. Okay. Hey, by the way, thank you for listening. Would you please rate and review the podcast? I mean, one of the things that's real important for us as we try to reach more people is that we become more visible in searches. When people search for Catholic podcasts or Catholicism on some of the search engines, and so your ratings and reviews make a huge difference. Also, you can go to the website, consideringcatholicism.com. You'll find all of the episodes there and other resources, all categorized and searchable, uh, the archive. Uh, You can also there leave me a message, and you can also reach me through uh, Gmail, consideringcatholicism at Gmail. If you want to write in a question or leave a message or a comment, we love that. Try to answer your questions as much as we can. And uh, you can also support the podcast there. This is a, a ministry and we'd like to do more of it. There's a lot of 
directions we'd like to take it. And we'd like to be able to reach more people, uh, help more people to consider Catholicism and offer them more resources. But we need your support to make, have the time and the technology to do that. So that's it. And thanks, Ed. And we're yeah. going to stop the recorder. And then by the magic of showbiz, we'll appear three or four days later in the, in the feed with the second half of this one. Looking forward to okay. it. Okay.